Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. Steve Hartland sitting across from me. Steve, what's going on, man? It's so nice to be actually sitting across from you as opposed to phoning in. Phoning in is convenient. You know, I can stay home, sit at my desk, do whatever. But, uh, man, there's nothing like being here I know. with you. Eyeball to eyeball. It's it's great to see the reaction, isn't it? It's more like having that conversation with someone face to face, and you know, seeing their expressions and being able to kind of work off of that, as opposed to, hey, how's it going yeah. across the phone? And plus, in my vanity, I, I imagine it's probably right. I imagine that my voice sounds a whole lot better via this <laughs> mic than phoning in. So I'd rather my voice sound okay. Clearer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's – isn't that everybody's dread, like their their <laughs> microphone voice and then add it I'm on top here? I'm going to sound like Pee Wee Herman. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first time I heard my voice and, I mean, I was I – was, I think I was 14 years old. I was on a radio program. Wow, were you? I was, yeah. I just got back from a mission trip to Estonia uh, – from Estonia, I should say, and um, – and uh, this radio program who had interviewed my father uh, the year before when he went. So my father passed away in the interim that year. And so I went over and did the mission trip and they wanted to interview me um, and, you know, just talk to me about losing my father, but then about going overseas and, and uh, doing that. And um, I remember hearing my voice being like, Oh, I really hope that's not what I really sound like. <laughs> and, and I kind of, I really did. Like, I kind of grew up being like, oh man, this is what I really, like not enjoying my voice. Oh, that's bad. And, uh, and then I started doing this podcast and people were like, man, you have a oh, great voice. You, yeah. yeah. And I was just like, okay. Uh-huh. It's resonant. It's rounded. <laughs> that reminds me of uh, something in my past. So I was in eighth grade, 13 years old. And somehow, I'll tell you how, I became the drummer in a really fine regional band. Yeah. Uh, it was a soul band. Soul was big in those oh, wow. days. It was yeah. in the 60s. And um, the way I got it was my sister, older than me, was dating the trombone player. Ah. They needed a drummer. And she said, well, try my, try my brother. So they did. And I got the job. So we were on TV a couple of times on what was the Kirby Scott show. Okay. You were Is not, that you like were a local? Enough. Yes, it was okay. a Baltimore show, and uh, it was an after-school thing. Kids would go home, and you know, there were people dancing and go-go sure. dancers and whatnot, and then they'd have live bands from the area. So we were on the Kirby Scott Show. So I got to watch myself being the drummer in our band on the Kirby Scott Show, and the entire time, I had this totally blank... Uh, deer in the headlights look on my face and my mouth was hanging open <laughs> looked like I was going to catch flies man it was so embarrassing so the second time we went on everybody in the band was telling me shut your mouth man close your mouth <laughs> you're going to catch flies that way yeah you know and I knew like all my friends at school were going to be watching this and, oh man uh, oh that's funny that's uh, funny yeah I'll, I'll have those moments it's interesting now teaching middle schoolers and you know um I, I feel like, okay, there were, there was probably a certain amount of the things that they're going through that I went through, but then there's a lot of things, a lot of drama that I know I did not go through. And I'm just like, oh, guys, just stop the drama. You have enough issues going yes. on right now without the drama. Oh, <laughs> uh, but no, it is, it's great being back and great, uh, having you, uh, in studio bedroom right again. Great. So, um, want to do a shout out to uh, Mission Aware. I'm so thankful for those guys and their uh, sponsorship. Again, want to uh, take the opportunity to highlight the five solas that they have um, going on with the t-shirts and the mugs and all that over there. We are, uh, we are in the 500th year of the Reformation coming up on Luther's uh, nailing of the 95 Theses. 
Reformation Day. And so, um, you know, what a great opportunity to celebrate 500 years of the Reformation by picking up a uh, Five Solas t-shirt or mug or something like that. Now, do you think anybody at Mission Aware listens to this podcast? Is somebody there? I, yeah, they do, actually. Jeff, I know, has been in contact with me over, um, you know, over the two years that we've done so, this. So and, if I, right now, if I give them a really amazing hint about a possible <laughs> product line, maybe they would even give me a cut out of the profits hey, in the future. anything is possible, So, so as long as you're called Mission Aware and you're producing like t-shirts with Spurgeon on them and stuff and Martin Luther quotes and whatnot, why, why not do a line of Mission Aware underwear? Missional underwear, <laughs> and it could have you know around the band. It could have sola scriptura. And, that would be great. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd wear those things, man. Yeah. Put them on every day and remember the Reformation. And absolutely, <laughs> that would be awesome. So there you go, Jeff. Uh, keep that in mind for your next uh, next big project over there. Missional underwear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although I guess you know, really, who are you missionalizing at that point if people are looking at your underwear? <laughs> well, in the gym, you're there changing, you right? <laughs> Uh, that's great. So check out Mission Aware. Great products. Um, and yeah, we got our topic on the table today, Steve. Uh, really excited about this. Uh, one of the funny thing is you came in, you sat down, and we were just kind of going over you know, our pre-notes and things like that. And uh, you were like, okay, so give me, you know, just kind of give me the summary of you know, where we're going with this topic. And I started talking to you, and you were like, oh, Kind of a different thought than what I had. <laughs> and you were like, well, why don't we start with yours and we'll see where it goes. And I paused for a moment and was doing some stuff over here. And I was like, you know what? Why don't we start with yours? And then if we can get to mine, we'll do that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start off today talking about um, church leadership. And we're going to talk about qualifications of church leadership. Uh, I think part of what we'll talk about there, Steve, is who are some of the people that we're looking at in church leadership uh, because I think it is a selective process. I think it is one of those things that it can't be, you know, lining everyone up and saying everyone gets a participation trophy. We're all going to make everyone leaders. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, it's, it is more of one of those things where you have you, you have to make cuts. You know, and you get people. Uh, hopefully, you're getting people in your church who will come out and they'll volunteer for these things. And you're using discretion, and you're saying, you know what? I think you you're going to make a really great leader. I I have my doubts about you and then looking at others and saying, you know what? I know right away you're not going to make it. Um, so let's go ahead and, and talk about that. Um, and uh, Steve, you had talked about before we got on this that you had um, a book or two that you wanted to kind of throw out there and recommend um, some things that people can get a hold and, and read of. So go ahead and, and take us there first. Thank you. Um, we're really on the topic of uh – Biblical leadership, and uh, I think you'll probably agree with me, and a lot of the hearers will probably agree, that uh, in our study of Scripture, we discover that uh, every elder is a pastor, every pastor is an overseer. The three terms have slightly different meanings, but they're all used of the same office, the same man, the same person. So I'm an elder, I'm a pastor, I'm an overseer. So are my fellow elders, my fellow pastors, and whatever. So we're talking about guys uh, who uh, want to be or maybe ought to be, or maybe shouldn't be, uh, elders, <laughs> pastors, overseers, mm-hmm. and their qualifications. Um, I'm sorry, what did you ask me to talk about? Uh, so you had said you had a book that you could oh, recommend yeah, book. for people so, to jump into. So, and- thank you. So a book, to think about all those. A really fine book that came out 
oh, I don't know, years ago, maybe even as far back as the 80s, mm-hmm. but it's still very useful, and I see it mentioned in reviews and whatnot. Yeah. The title is Biblical Eldership by a guy who was a Plymouth Brethren dude out in the Denver area um, named Eric Strauch. Mm. So Eric Strauch's Biblical Eldership and is a probably one of the best sane, balanced, biblical, not weird, not off on tangents, not beating drums and standing and riding hobby horses. Right. Just a really nice, biblical, fresh uh, explanation of what eldership is all about in the Bible. Nice. So, uh, you know, if, you want, if you're trying to get a handle on the subject, Strauch, Biblical Eldership, great book. Awesome. So, um, you know, we had said we were going to do that at the beginning of every podcast. So, you know, go out and take a look at that to our listeners. Uh, next, I want to I springboard and jump into scripture, Steve. Um, I know you have um, verses that are there and ready. And so I was wondering if you could start us off with with scripture, because we do, uh, we give our opinions a lot on here, but hopefully our opinions are based in scripture. And so um, I want you to go ahead and and just lead us off with some of those verses that talk about um, biblical leadership and uh, eldership. Love to. Of course, there are two great passages that uh, give the biblical qualifications required of a man if he's to be a pastor, elder, overseer. Mm-hmm. The first is in First Timothy 3, 1 through 7, yep. and the second passage is in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, or maybe even following a little bit, depending on how you want to interpret it. So I'm going to look at the First Timothy passage, um, just because it's a little shorter. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I'll just read through this quickly, all right? Yeah. So that we have... Uh, seven verses here. So this is, the saying is trustworthy. I'm in the ESV, by the way. Uh, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So that ought to, that ought to encourage guys. Or discourage them. <laughs> All right. But encourage them. Yeah. This is worth spending your time, man. Yeah. It's not a waste of time. I know you could be out making money somewhere. You sure. could be enjoying yourself. You could be in your boat, whatever, whatever. Uh, but it's a noble thing. Therefore, an overseer must be Above reproach, and that's kind of the broad catch-all. Like, if you can't DQ him for anything else, you can probably find somewhere where he's not above reproach, right? right? right. Uh, that's going to be a judgment call, isn't it? I'm not going to stop and talk about everyone. Sure, by sure. The way, but, but the above reproach deserves some attention. Yeah. It's going to be a judgment call. Like, a guy that I think is above reproach is not a guy that you think is above reproach. Right. So it's going to come down to what does the balance of a local congregation think? Now, could I could I push back a little bit on that, Steve, and maybe yep. say that that above reproach is leading into what he's to be above reproach on? Like All the other that, things. yeah, that statement above reproach. I think I I don't think it's there ambiguously. I think it's there because it's leading into all right. You know, you, you we need to hammer down. What does it mean to be above reproach? And I think Paul's about to get in there and talk about what it means to be above reproach. Um, on on this man, you know, and so that it's not necessarily left up to somebody being subjective in their thoughts on what it means to be above reproach. Paul's going to point specifically to that. Is that? Do you think that's a fair assessment? Uh, I'm halfway there. Okay, and that is to say, certainly the things that follow ought to be the primary things we we look at. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I'm not convinced that that's a uh, an exhaustive list mm-hmm. of qualifications to follow all of which exegete the phrase above reproach mm-hmm. I think there are many other things that could make a man not above reproach mm. that aren't in this list okay so uh, 
I don't know. For example, let's see. Let me think. Let me make sure this is not on the list. Um, no, you'd put that under not able to manage his household. Well, we'll see if we can find one as we go. Okay. All right. All right. But Fair I'm enough. I'm just thinking it might not be exhausted. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So I'll read on. He must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, or as we've heard many times, a one-woman man. He's got eyes mm. and a heart for one woman. Sober-minded. Mm. And man, how do you determine that one? Where, yeah. Where's the meter you use and stick in him, and it says sober or not sober? Right. Uh, you know, some guys have a great sense of humor. They laugh a lot. Are they sober-minded? Does this mean you know you, your face has to look like... The face on the back of an iodine bottle. It's a skull and crossbones. <laughs> right, right. Uh, what does that mean? So, got to be sober-minded. Self-controlled. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Mm. Respectable. I mean, people will respect him. Hospitable. Um, mm. He's open to strangers. Probably means things like he will meet new people at church. Mm. Uh, able to teach. <sighs> <laughs> There are a lot of people who imagine that they are able to teach <laughs> and God has called them and they're upset because we're holding them back from ministry. But you know what we do? We just give them, we give them an opportunity. Like we have a men's breakfast thing once a month. Yeah. There's a place where we can say, Hey, we're going to put you in the men's breakfast, stand up and talk and we'll see what people say. Sure. And when people go, boo, right. <laughs> you know, it's not us. We're not right. the bad guys. It just didn't go well, brother. We right. heard from people and you know, all right. Anyway. Yeah. Able yeah. to teach. What that means is when they're done talking, you're not more confused than when they started. Sure. When they're done talking, you say, ah, that really helped. Yeah. That made sense. Yeah. That was right out of scripture. Yeah. It was clear, et cetera. So able to teach. Um, probably also part of able to teach is going to come later where uh, he doesn't get into arguments. Mm. He's gentle. He's patient with those who oppose. Yeah. So I'm so able to teach. Not a drunkard. Because in our days, we would extend that to not a drug addict, mm. not snorting coke, not violent, mm. but gentle. Mm. You can't have guys, you know, throwing down at the elders meeting. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> boom, boom. It comes the blows. No cage matches. <laughs> uh, not quarrelsome. Mm. Not a lover of money. Mm. How do you, you know, how do you gauge that one? Yeah. When you're looking at a guy. Here's yeah. a guy who's God's blessed him. He's got a lot of wealth. He's bought a lot of stuff. Is he a lover of money? Mm. He could be or he could not be. Yeah. Here's a guy who's poor. Is he a lover? He might be a lover of money. Sure. How do you gauge that one? Sure. Um, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Uh, that's a matter of degree, isn't it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, how many three-year-olds are really good models of submissive? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah. Um, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert. Interesting. The reason is not because he won't be mature enough yet. Mm. The reason is if he's a recent convert and you put him in that high position, he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Mm. So he's got to be a believer for a while. Moreover... Mm. He must be well thought of by outsiders. You know, I was pastor of a church in California for a while, and one of our elders suggested this, so we did it. Anytime we were looking at a guy to be an elder with us, mm -hmm. we would ask him permission, and he would grant it. We would interview his boss. Mm. Yeah. What do the outsiders think of him? Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. Uh, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare 
of the devil. So there's the First Timothy 3 list. Um, I suggested not exhaustive. Pretty comprehensive, though, isn't it? Mm, yeah. It covers a lot of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, you know, when I when I look at that, I think... I think all churches are going to at some point have their own ideas and they're going to have their own uh, they're going to have their own limitations of things they're going to have their own standards of things that aren't going to be on that list. I mean, how many churches are out there who uh you know say their elders can't drink? Oh yeah. You know. And uh and I I still like to me and I I've told this to Greg, you know, I for me personally, I will never attend a church where they forbid their leadership to drink. And, and it's not even the fact that I can't be on, you know, whether I could or couldn't be on leadership. It's that you are, uh, I, I believe you are restricting where the Bible does not. It's that I have discovered you are a legalist. Right. And I don't want to be in your legalist church, man. Yeah. I don't want to subject myself to that. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I couldn't do that. Yeah. And or so, any other glaring legalist thing. Like yeah. They, if they have the approved list of movies I can watch. Nah, I mean, yeah. I ain't going there. Yeah. You Pretty can or bad. can't play cards. And yeah. <laughs> yes. Dumb stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I just, but on the same token, I do still understand that God works and moves in churches like that. And, yeah, amen. and so, you know, I want to be careful that while I would never do that, I would never go in that direction. Um, you know, God is still there. He's still working. He's still moving. Um, I, w- I want to put that out there because I think we are going to spend a little bit of time um, hammering on a little bit of legalism today, but I do want to, you know, set that up that, you know, um, it, it doesn't matter, you know, I mean, I mean, it does matter. We don't want to be legalists. I think the Bible is very clear on that, but there are churches that are legalistic that are still preaching the gospel. And Absolutely. we still need to remember Leading that, that these Christ, are, maturity, yeah, say, yeah. But they got some issues. They do. Yeah. So yeah. I've run into this personally, man. Like I was a pastor in Southern California, Riverside Cal, mm-hmm. smog city, USA from 85 <laughs> to 95 and 95. We left Riverside, came back to my native Maryland and I became the pastor of what was then Trinity reformed Baptist church, which is now Cornerstone so, community. Yeah. So, uh, they were interviewing me, the elders of, uh, Trinity Reformed Baptists were interviewing me as yep. a possible candidate to be their their new pastor. And one of the questions came up, uh, do you drink alcohol? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I like beer, I like wine. I don't get drunk, but I, you know, I like drinking. Yeah. And it like went silent. <laughs> <laughs> you could have heard a pin drop, and we were in a car driving to a conference. Right. It was like, <laughs> So uh, then one elder like cleared his throat, <clears throat> well, uh, that would be a problem. So they, come, they came from a really fundamentalist background. They really broke off of a fundamentalist church in the area mm-hmm. when they started Trinity Reformed Baptist Church. And um, I, I think, I'm not sure I would do this again today. I wanted the job badly enough that I said, all right, tell you what, I'll agree to it and we'll visit it again someday. So I agreed to it. I wouldn't drink. Mm-hmm. And then a couple years later, we revisited it and it went fine. Right. <laughs> we <laughs> went from dry to wet. Issue. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But one elder struggled with that. Yeah. He really thought, you know, this is bad. The Bible. You know, he's heard famous national Bible teachers say that uh, the Bible doesn't say you can't drink, but no wise Christian right. would. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's something that I find that I still have 
you know, issues, uh, talking to people with, you know, it's like, you know, well, you know, if you're a wise person, it's like, well, if you're a wise person, you'll read what the Bible has to say and not go beyond it. Um, Touché. you know, there, there is no reason to, to overstep your bounds. If you believe that you are under this conviction, that's great, but there's no reason to put anyone else under it. Hmm. Um, but I, I do want to go back, um, and, and kind of visit that list because I think, um, I think there are some things in here that you and I are going to talk about. I think there might be some things that you and I are going to disagree on, um, potentially. Um, I don't know. That's that's the great thing with doing this live is we don't know where we're going to fall on this I stuff. I hope so, we run into something uh, we disagree on. So, it would be refreshing. So, Steve, if you don't mind, let's go ahead and let, let's kind of pull this apart a little bit, um, you know, one by one. Um, now that you've read through it, um, talk to me a little bit about um, A Man Above Reproach. Yeah, so I think... Uh, having said, I think it's more broad than just this passage. Sure. I think what that means is uh, we, everybody in the church, if they have any sense, will know this does not mean he has no sins. Mm. It doesn't mean he has no visible sins. Mm. Uh, who would that be? We can't find that person who has no sins. That was and no Jesus. Visible. That's right. There was one of those. He's in heaven right now. So it, it can't mean that. Uh, so it must mean... Uh, the sins that he does have, everybody would say, oh, yeah, all right, all right, all right. We all struggle with that or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it has to mean is nobody can make a serious accusation stick. Because mm-hmm. if they could make it stick, it's just not going to work. It's not going to go well. This guy is not going to be considered above reproach. So let's say he's in a fundamentalist church, and they say, do you drink? And he says, oh, yeah, man, I have a beer every night with dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to have him as an elder. And in their eyes, he's not above reproach. Right. Bad example. Let's take something that, that makes more sense. Um, what could he do that's, that doesn't appear to them to be above reproach? I can't even think of one. Can you think of one? Yeah, see, and, and that's the thing is that for me when I look at that list and I see um, a man above reproach, I really feel like it's hitting on every aspect of i mean i guess maybe i could make another argument for that above reproach um you know when david prays the prayer of forgiveness you know um uh and i knew i was going to forget it it's it's one of those verses but you know where he prays um you know uh that he would be blameless not only before God but before man. Mm. And I feel like the the things that follow are kind of like a blamelessness before man. And so that above reproach to me would be like a blamelessness before God almost. Mm. Where where my conscience before God is clear and I can I can shepherd his flock with a clear conscience. Mm-hmm. And so I guess, you know, in that respect I could I could make that argument. But I really do when I when I look at that, I almost feel like you know, a man above reproach, and then it goes into that. These are these are the things that that kind of keep you above reproach. It really, it's not an exhaustive list because it doesn't get into all the minute details of things, but it is an exhaustive list in terms of what's missing from it. I'm I'm accepting the challenge. You've thrown down the gauntlet. <laughs> I'm going to come back next week to our podcast with three examples. All right, I'm going to rack my brains. Part two. Here we <laughs> go. Right. I gotta find something and redeem myself here. <laughs> um, no, but I think I think regardless, um, you know, a man above reproach. Um, I I really would. I would fall back on on David, where you know he talks about you know keeping his you know keeping um, being above reproach, not only before God but before man, and making sure that you know he is he's not 
transgress transgressing against either one of them. You know, ultimately in that prayer, his his you know he's he's afraid of the transgression before God. That's ultimately what it is. Um, actually, I think I'm getting two different verses mixed up. I think I'm getting the the prayer. Um, after he sinned with Bathsheba, confused with another prayer that he prays early on. So forget it, listeners. Um, but he does still pray, you know, that he would, um, that his way would be made blameless before God and man. Um, and so there is that twofold aspect of it where, um, you know, when almost like the Job, where God's looking at Job and here's a man blameless before God, um, and then making sure that you know, his, his ways are blameless before man as well, that we can't point a finger at him and say, oh, there, you know, look at there, look at there, you know, look yeah. in his closet. He's got, you know, several skeletons in there. And I would say this list, First Timothy 3 and the Titus 1 list, are primarily about, if not exclusively about, uh, above reproach in the eyes of the people. Mm, yeah. Because it's the people who are looking at him here and trying to decide, does he meet this? Does right, he meet does that? he fit that criteria? Yeah. Hey, I just came up with a few possibilities. It's right. not even next week. All right, let's so hear it. Let's think about these. Yes. So I know this says he must manage his own household well. Mm-hmm. And I know later it says he must not be a lover of money. So money is mentioned, managing things, his household is mentioned. Yeah. But suppose he's just making a lot of really dumb financial decisions. Sure. Does that really fall under one of those? Maybe, but not so clearly anyway. Yeah. All right, that's one possibility. I'm going to leave it. Here's, my, here's a better one. This sure. one's stronger. Um, this is real life, man. This is from real life. Suppose he just talks too much. Mm. Every time you get him in a group, mm-hmm. people leave and they're like, I don't want to do that again because he stole the floor on every issue mm. and would not shut up. Mm. And he talks fast and... Just and just uh, won't quit. Instead of let's say being sensitive to who's there and trying to draw out the quieter ones, asking them some questions to lead them into the conversation, mm. so they can have a good night and go home and saying that was that was good. Mm. Uh, but you can, I, I will see a guy talking too much, and the others are sitting there like, "How can I get out of here? Sure. When can I leave?" And so on. So there's nothing in this list that says he can't talk too much. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't view a guy's above reproach if he's like. Trying to steal every conversation. Sure, trying to put himself above everyone he just else. Doesn't and, shut up. He, yeah, like you, let's say you have six guys together one night and they drink a beer together, and he does eighty percent of the talking, mm. which isn't unreasonable. I think I've seen that. Sure, eighty percent. Uh, I don't want that guy to be an elder. It's not going to work. Sure. So sure. there may be examples. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep trying to come up with more. Yeah, yeah, and so I guess, I, yeah, and I guess that's where I probably say, yeah, I agree with you. You know, that it's a little more. You're kind of looking at something a little more subjective at that point um, for for criteria because I again I don't know that. I, I mean, I guess it's it's contextual. You know, if um, if the person is trying to, you know trying to I, I mean I guess I guess the overlying issue with there is pride I want to be the center of attention it's all about me 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 I I I or, or just a lack of an internal meter that says all right they talk that much I talk this much I need to yield to them again sure yeah yeah and I guess yeah I guess um, you know like you said I could I could definitely see that um, in an instance um, I I'm trying to think I don't know that you know, personally, and, and, you know, people can take it for what it's worth. You know, I'm not a pastor. I don't have to deal with this, but I don't, I don't know that personally, I would look at that and be like, "Eh, yeah, we're not. I mean, I I think if it interfered with, 
um, I think if it interfered with how they were to help people and counsel people, it would. If that, you know, if that was even just the casual issue. interactions before and after church so, and before and after other meetings, yeah. uh, they're not going to have a good time, and they're going to say, "Man, this guy—he's one of our elders." Yeah, and he just doesn't let me talk. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, I can see that. There's a possibility. Sure. Yeah. So, so what do we got next? We have. A man above reproach, um, and then we go into... The husband of one wife. Husband of one wife. Now, it's interesting because I know um, a lot of people bring up um, polygamy argument, and they'll bring up the divorce argument, and they'll bring up you know all these different things. Something that I came to appreciate about... Um, where I went to, where I went to college, we had several missionaries who um, were missionaries in residence at our school, and they were some of our professors. And one of the things that I noticed that they were that they said is, you know, we would go into these villages where polygamy was allowed, and we go into these villages and people get saved. The chiefs get saved, mm. and you know, one of the things that they would say is, you know, getting in and, and the chief getting saved is huge because. You know, when yeah. the chief gets saved, the people Everybody look to that. that. Yeah, yeah, the people listen, and and you know, you really have an inroad. Well, there were there are missionaries, several missionary organizations who will look at the chief and the chief being saved, and they're like, well, you know, you have multiple wives, and so you can't be an elder. And so he's to a certain extent shunned by the American missionaries hmm. that are there. Hmm. And chief, but he's the chief. And so, you know, one of the things that, you know, the, the missionaries would say is, you know, polygamy, once people become a Christian, really doesn't become much of an issue into the next generation. Hmm. It's a generational thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it stops um, when, when people get saved, that makes when sense. Christ works. And he said, you know, some of the tribes that I went into, I never had any problems making these chiefs elders because – because they followed that later part where they were taking care of their family, mm-hmm. you know, and so yeah, they you know this is they yeah they they weren't husbands of one wives, but you know they came to Christ. It wasn't like they were jumping into a polygamist relationship after Christ. They were coming to Christ, and now they were in the situation. And so you know, for me to restrict that ability is almost restricting the gospel in that area hmm. because people are not going to listen to me at that point because I've basically shunned the chief. Um, you know, and so, yeah, these, you know, these chiefs are, these chiefs are made elders and they're preaching the gospel and teaching the gospel. And what they're doing is they're saying, you know, my life, you know, my story, the Bible clearly teaches against this. And so they are teaching against the life that they're in now. You know, but after grace, after they've been saved, they are now taking care of their family. But it's not as simple as like, oh, well, you know, we just divorce our wife. Hmm. Which wife do you now divorce? Which Which wife do you send off on her own in order to try to make a way um, in the world? Um, I'm glad I've never had to face this personally. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. We don't have polygamists showing up at Cornerstone. Sure. We don't have to deal with this. Um, And I, I probably have... A very distinct lack of wisdom about this whole thing. But here's what I've always imagined. Sure. So interesting to hear what you say actually has happened in real life. Mm-hmm. Here's what I've imagined. So I'm a missionary. I go to an area where polygamy is the norm mm-hmm. and uh, preach the gospel. And people come to Christ and the chief comes to Christ. And he's got five wives. Um, 
I wouldn't. I wouldn't feel like I need to immediately pressure him about the issue. Mm-hmm. We don't need to do something precipitous here. Give the man time to grow in Christ. Give him time to mm-hmm. start studying Scripture. Maybe you know, if he asked me where should I start in Scripture, I'd say, "Oh, First Timothy would be bad." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe the issue could come up. I'd hope maybe he would bring it up. What does this part mean? Sure. And then he'd say, "Well, what do I do about that?" And we'd explore that together. Uh, I've always imagined that I would suggest to him. Uh, look, they're your wives. You've got these five women. They are dependent on you. You need to provide for them for the rest of their lives. But you're going to have to pick one. Mm-hmm. Pick one. She's the one you lie with. Mm-hmm. She's the one that's really your wife. Sure. So I've imagined that. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, I mean, I can, I can, definitely, I can definitely see that. I think, I think part of the problem and complication comes where, you know, you're, you're trying to now – um, you know, figure out your, you know, that, that might be your husbandly responsibility to her, but what about, you know, to the others that have children that are now, yes. you know, and so and I you're think ripping them off. They yeah. Have a husband. Yeah. And I think, I think it's a little more sticky than people actually hmm. realize, you know, and I don't, I don't necessarily know that what scripture is saying here, like, and I know people will argue, well, it says husband of one wife, husband of one wife, but you know, many people have made the argument, well, what about divorce? Mm-hmm. And and people are always willing to say, well, you know, before you were a Christian, if you were divorced, it's okay. Or, you know, or the phrase means at, at this time, right? at any given time, you have one woman. Right. And so, you know, the, so the, the question now becomes, you know, is it referring to divorce or is it referring to literal polygamy or is it? You know, and again, I hate saying this because I know people are going to be like, well, you're just wishy-washy in scripture. And it's like, no, I'm not. I want to be faithful to the text. I want to be faithful to what the text is saying. But when you have scholars who are actually arguing and debating back and forth, no, 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 this is actually, this is divorce. And then you have scholars who are actually arguing, no, 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 this is polygamy. Um, can I, can I, you know, say, could this actually refer to, um, Christian, a Christian's intentionality with what's going on. Like if I'm a Christian and I, and I get divorced, I can see how that disqualifies me because as someone who's following Christ, I see the issue with that. But if, if I've lived my life pre Christ and I'm living in sin anyway, and I get divorced and then I come to Christ and I'm remarried, why would that disqualify me yeah, from I serving? I wouldn't think it would. But and so, would argue right, would. they would. And so, my question would then be: Okay, so if that's a legitimate argue, argument for divorce, couldn't that be a legitimate argument for polygamy? If I'm coming into, if I'm if I'm a Christian and I'm call myself a Christian and I'm working in a church and I'm like, yeah, I've got one wife here and one wife here and one wife here. Yeah, I can see where that's an issue. I can see where that's a problem. But if I have this family and I have these people here that I'm responsible for and I want to be faithful to taking care of them and I become a Christian, it sets up a whole different dynamic. Now, in America, I know things are different and it's kind of hard to put ourselves in that African tribal mindset in that national mindset. Um, because in America it would be, I think it would be a much easier decision and situation to be like, Oh, you know, I made a mistake. You know, this is, you know, and to try to work and maneuver through that. In America, it's going to be more like you can't have a wife and a girlfriend too. Right. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, but you know, I mean, but again, you know, I, I am still, I'm fascinated by that. And I think, 
I think it is something that is worth exploring. You know, I think it is it is a question that's worth exploring because, again, I, I think from the American perspective and the American mindset, it's it's a little easier to kind of put the what ifs on there and to kind of throw those things out there and say, well, you know, this is this is easy, but you get over into countries like Africa, or you get into countries like um, the Philippines or countries where this is a legitimate thing where this is going on. And it's not that they are, they're intentionally going around and sinning in, in a, you know, intellectual capacity. It's just, no, this is what they do. This is their tribe. This is their nation. Um, you know, I, I do wonder, are we overlooking something if we're just like, no, this isn't, this isn't going to happen. Your thoughts on that, Steve? I don't have any. How's that? Okay. Um, I, I think. I mean, I think. Lacking, I think that's fair enough. Sure. I haven't been there. Sure. I, I don't want to speak and just be talking out of ignorance here. Sure. Uh, so the only thing I have to say is what I already said. This sure. Here's what I've always imagined. Sure. But uh, I'm willing to stand corrected by people who have actually had to be there and deal with it. And sure. See how it works. Sure. No, and I think. I mean, I think that's fair enough because I don't. I, I think part of it is that there are. I think even with the hard and fast rules. I think there are times where we look at those things and yeah, I, I want to speak very clearly on what scripture says. And I want to make sure that we are speaking clearly on what scripture says. Um, and so I don't want to, I don't want to ignore that. I don't want to look beyond that. But again, I look at people who are arguing this on both sides and I scratch my head and I look at the text and I look at what, what, you know, again, these aren't just willy nilly people who are making these arguments. These are people who are strong in scripture. They're strong in the faith. And, you know, you do have to scratch your head a little bit and wonder, okay, what does this actually mean? And I know there are people out there who are willing to say, oh, it means this. And they have no problem doing that. And I can appreciate that. I can appreciate that stance. But I also know being on the other side, talking with people who have been overseas and who have dealt with this situation, um, they're, they're dealing with these things on a more realistic, practical level that we don't often deal with here in America. So just kind of my thoughts. Hopefully I will never have to do that. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but if I do, oh, Lord, give wisdom. Yes, yeah. yes. So husband of one wife, sober-minded. You know, there are mm-hmm. a lot of qualifications here. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to run way. We are. Over. It's yeah. It's going to be three weeks. Yeah. Uh, sober-minded. Let's let's stop in on ones we want to. Sure. I'll read again, and you you grab one if you want. Yeah. All right. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable. What does that mean? Yeah. How, let's, do, you, how do you work that out? Let's hang on on that. Steve, go ahead. Talk to us. So the guy, by virtue of his character and his personality and his speech habits and whatever and whatever, the way he treats his wife and the way he treats his dog, people respect him. Mm-hmm. Just to figure out, you could ask the whole church, do you respect him? Yeah. And they are, yeah, yeah, I respect that guy. Yeah. That's respectful. Now, let me let me throw a tweak into your initial argument about um, man above reproach. Mm. Do you think that somebody in leadership who is who is constantly trying to take the stage and be in front, do you think people would describe him as respectable? Um, I don't know if they'd put this under the respectable category, but they would not like yeah. the way he talks too much. Yeah. Uh, people want to be able to hang out with their pastors, have conversations with their yeah. pastors, uh, share their burdens with their pastors. And you've got to be a good listener mm-hmm. to be a pastor. You listen a lot and then talk. 
Um, and a guy who doesn't do that, they're just not going to be happy with him as their pastor. Mm. Yeah. 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 So respectable. Hmm. I wonder if I'm respectable. <laughs> <laughs> Hospitable, which I would make uh, to mean way more than he tells strangers who visit the city, hey, you can stay at my place. Yeah, that's one of the arguments for in that day. That's sure. what happened. There, there wasn't a Motel 6. There wasn't a Hyatt. There, and you, you would uh, stay with people. Sure. So uh, it, it, it doesn't mean that at all or hardly that in our day. But it does mean, does a guy seem to have a heart that's open mm. to people and new people and more people? It might mean, does he have people in his home? Or does he never have anybody in his home? Mm. What's up with that if he doesn't? So you mean like just uh, just kind of inviting people over to hang out and do things together? Yeah. Let's mm. have a meal. You guys yeah. come, over. come over for a dessert. Or if not that, uh, at least uh, at church you get the sense that he wants to meet everybody. He likes being with everybody. Mm-hmm. He's not just with his own little club over sure. there. Sure, yeah. yeah. Hospitable. Able to teach. We already kind of talked about that. Yeah, yeah. When he's done, people go, yeah. 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 yeah no, more of that one. Put them I, up again. I think that is important because I think that is one of the, I mean, that, is, well, not I think, I know that is one of the differences between a deacon and an elder. Yes. That's like the is, primary yeah. in these lists. Yeah. Is someone, you know, as opposed to someone who's a servant and who's able to serve in the church, that is the primary difference is the person who is able to stand up before the congregation and speak and to, um, go through the word of God and teach people the word of God. And like you said, I think this is huge without confusing them, without muddling up the word of God. Yeah. So here's an interesting story I can tell you about. This yeah. is true life right now. I think it's safe. It is safe for me to talk about this, this able to teach clause. So uh, Cornerstone Church is taking on Jason Wallace as a full-time uh, staff person okay. starting December 1. I'm happy to say. Nice. I love that guy. And uh, they're having a baby. He needed to make some more money. Uh, there were options like we would lose him. He'd go elsewhere for a full-time position. Sure. Or we could uh, cough up the difference. So we coughed it up. He's staying. Um, so he and I have been working, working, working on his new job description for his full-time job. Yep. So far, it's like 120-hour weeks. We need to work it down a little <laughs> yeah. bit. But I'm exaggerating somewhat. Oh, yeah. Somewhat. Somewhat. But, I've been in that position. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, uh, one of his questions to me was, uh, so when I'm on staff, now he's a seminary student. He's yep. been looking forward to voca- vocational ministry. He's done some preaching at our church. He's preached other places. He's been the preacher speaker a lot at crew at Stevenson yep. university. Cause he's been the head of that ministry on the university. Yep. So he asked me, uh, how often why will I be able to preach? And my answer to him was, we don't know that yet. You need to preach some more first before we know. Sure. And what has to happen is he's got to preach first, and we have to hear from the people. Give me some more of that, right? Right. Or that was good. Or he's getting better and better. Or you know something like that. Yeah. Like the last couple times he preached, people did say that. They said, "Wow, you know he, that was good. He's really good. so. We need to hear some more of that, and then we'll know yeah. whether we can say, okay, you're going to get a Sunday a month or you know, whatever right. it is. Yeah. Teach. So the people have to be in on judging that. They're the ones who have to sit there and listen. Sure. Do they want to listen sure. to this guy? Now let me ask you, how do you? Um, how do you kind of divine that a little bit though um, where I've been in the presence of people who have been able to teach. However, their presentation in the teaching is not quite there. If you know what I mean, Um, but they've still, they're great 
teachers, what they're what they're saying, how they're communicating in terms of what they're communicating mm-hmm. is spot on. But maybe they're a little drier. They're not as dynamic. I mean, sure. you you know, Greg was on this podcast before you, Steve, and you, and then Matt Smith, Dave Shive. You are all not just good teachers, but you're also dynamic teachers. Mm-hmm. And you are, I, I've heard you preach on several occasions, you are very enthusiastic and energetic and you engage people. But I'm willing to concede that there aren't necessarily people out there who have that engaging personality sure. when they're teaching, but they're still solid teachers. Totally agree. In fact, I, the way I see this, I wonder what you think of this. Yeah. Um, I think there are different levels or gradations of how and when and where and why a guy might be deemed able to teach. Mm. So one guy's able to teach in the, in the large corporate assemblies, and you should put him up there a lot and let him do that. Mm. Another guy's able to teach in a small group setting. Mm. And when he's done leading a small group and teaching there, people are going, yeah, man, that was good. Yeah, I'm going to bring my friends next week. Mm. Uh, another guy's able to teach one-on-one. Like you ask him after church, Pastor, I'm confused on this. Uh, can you help me? And he sure. can explain it. And when you're all done, it, it was good. But you wouldn't put him up to speak to the whole assembly. Sure. So I think there are different levels of this. Okay. And, and in my view, every one of those would qualify a man as able to teach. Okay. It doesn't mean he has to be able to teach the whole assembly. Sure. No, I, th- I think that's fascinating. To be honest, um, uh, going back to your answer, uh, it's something that I've never, you know, I I don't really have an opinion on. And part of that is just because I've never really thought about it on the multi-level before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've just, uh, because I have been in, in sitting in sermons and listening to um, pastors who have been teaching and their teaching's been good, but I know I've been sitting there looking at the clock at times <laughs> going, this is just, yes. this is not... This is not engaging for yeah. for what I'm used to or what I like. And I know that almost boils church down to like our preferences and things like that. And so I want to be careful not to do that. But I do know that there are people who are much more engaging and much mm-hmm. more captivating oh, yeah. in what they're saying. Well, here's a stereotype for you. Sure. Um, seminary professors are certainly deemed able to teach. Mm. But – Generally, they don't make really great preachers. Mm. Now, I'm broad brushing that. You'll sure. find one who's a great preacher. But generally, they're not mm. uh, because the style of delivery they're used to, the, the manner of dealing with information they're used to fits the seminary classroom sure. where you're dumping truckloads of data and truth on people's heads. And you just can't do that in a sermon. A sermon's a different animal. Sure. It's a different genre. So um, are they able to teach? Yeah. Could one of them be a pastor in our church? Yeah. Is he going to preach a lot? No. Sure. Okay. Yeah, and I think I think that's fair too because I think it's looking at a person's strengths where okay, so you don't want to utilize them as the pastor up front, but hey, you know what? We we want to utilize you to help develop curriculum and to teach classes. Absolutely. Teach a teach a Sunday school class, yeah. teach a men's group, teach yeah. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. I th- yeah, I think that's I think that's great. I think that's fair. Yeah, able to teach. Oh, let's see. Next one is not a drunkard. <laughs> <laughs> That really wouldn't work, would it? <laughs> the guy comes in and his speech is slurred. Steve, I got to ask you: Did you ever watch Mash? Uh, no, not really. Barely. Oh there, there's this episode where Father Mulcahy, like the whole camp's been just banned and it's been put on dry, and uh, but Father Mulcahy still has because he's Catholic, he still has sacramental wine for uh, for for giving out communion, and uh, he. You know, everybody's been required to go to church service, and he's not been used to that, and so he's just really nervous. So one of the uh, the corporals gives him some 
of the Sacramento wine to drink, and he just gets up there and he starts trying to pre- preach on the evils of drinking. Oh no! While he's, he's sloshed. Huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, I, that that picture just came to my mind when you said oh, that. Not too good. Again, obviously, this doesn't mean he doesn't drink. Um, yeah. If you had been around Jesus, I say this without hesitation, you would have smelled alcohol, wine on his breath. Yeah. Pretty much every day because they sure. drank wine every yeah. day. Yeah. Well, and, and here's, I, I, you know, I love people who, you know, sit there and try to, you know, say, oh, it was grape juice. If it was <laughs> yeah, grape juice, the Pharisees <laughs> would not have called him a drunkard. Yeah. Now, we know he wasn't a drunkard, right. but in order for somebody to say that, you need to be drinking. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't call somebody who doesn't drink a drunkard. And at the wedding of Cana and Galilee, uh, after Jesus made the best wine yeah. and came out last, yeah. they said, "This is amazing." Usually, they wait till you're drunk and then yeah. they give you the junk. And then, yeah, yeah. So it was it was alcoholic. Yeah, man. they were talking about it was about the good getting, stuff. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> anyway, can't be a drunkard. Yep, not violent. But gentle, which probably should mean more than just he doesn't strike you with his fists. Mm. You can be violent with words, yeah, and you can not be gentle with words. So, would you say that that maybe refers to the overall temperament? Yeah, of I, I really think so. I want to go over to Titus for a second. Sure, parallel passage. Yeah, and um, if a man is above reproach, husband and wife, children and believers, overseer must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick tempered. Mm. There's the same kind of thing. Uh, uh, he must hold firm to the word. Uh, I'm not finding the part I wanted. Where it does link able to teach with um, being patient and gentle with those who oppose. Mm. Uh, anyway, mm. able to teach. Yeah. Um, well, and I think, or yeah, I think, and I think that's so important too, because, you know, um, I, I know being in, you know, ultimately, you know, these are, this is Christ. I mean, when we look at this list, ultimately this is Christ because we cannot perfectly fulfill all these things on our own. It's and a great I know picture of Christ. it is. And, and I just, I know that being in the classroom, you know, I, I will lose my patience at times. And I know that the most effective way to lose your classroom is to lose your patience. Hmm. And I know that because I've been there and I've done that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can, I can only imagine how much more important it is to, as a pastor, being patient, being kind, being gentle with your congregation as they are going through life and they're going through struggles, yeah. even as they are impatient. I mean, you know, what, what a way to escalate something, you know, an impatient person escalating an impatient person. It happens all the time. Um, yeah, the not so. quarrelsome part comes up there too. That yeah. Fits right in. Um, I have to be careful with that. So it's after church and a guy grabs me and says, you know, Pastor, what do you think of this? Mm. And I don't agree with him at all yeah. on what he thinks of this. Uh, to what extent do I get into that with him? And mm. more and more, I'm trying not to. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. it can just turn into a quarrel. Yeah. Or at least I might come across in a way that I'm not realizing it. Sure. Or maybe he's very sensitive to this. Sure. And he gets offended at the way, at the manner in which I interacted about it. Yeah. So uh, increasingly, if somebody comes to me with uh, – a possible quarrelsome, contentious topic. 
I ask them, you explain it to me. Uh, hey, I really want to pray about that and think about it, but I also want to submit it to the other elders so it's not just me thinking about it. Sure. Could you write out bullet points about that? Email it to me. I'll take it to the elders. We'll all talk about your issue. And then they feel even more gratified. Wow, I'm getting all the elders' attention right. on this. But it saves me from being uh, the guy who disagreed with them, the guy yeah. who shut them down, the guy who corrected them or tried to. Yeah. No, and I, I mean, I think I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of wisdom in that. I mean, I know there's a difference between um, good friends, and, and I find I do this more and more um, as I get older, that people I don't know real well, uh, or, you know, I have um, casual acquaintance relationships with those people. It, I mean... I could completely 100% disagree with them, but I'll kind of smile and nod along with them. Yeah, and smile. Yeah, it's just kind of smile and, uh, okay, yeah, yep, yep. But I also know that some of my friends that I'm the closest with, I'll get into drag out arguments with because because we're friends and I know that they can handle whatever I throw at them. Just That's like they know. Friends. Yeah, it is, yeah. isn't it? Uh-huh. I mean, I, I remember doing that in high school where I would get into just arguments, yelling matches, and. You know, my best friend's mother would be upstairs and she would be like, oh my gosh, they're going to like, they're going to kill each other. And like, we would just come upstairs, you know, like after we were done and, you know, we'd be hanging out and, you know, laughing. And she's like, I was for sure that the friendship was going to, and it's like, Hmm. why? I mean, Hmm. this is great. You know, I mean, Hmm. we're challenging one another and we're growing, but yeah, just those everyday people for lack of, you know, a better thought or terminology, you know, those are the people that I think. You know, as Christians, it, it behooves us to show a little more grace to and a little bit more patience. Yeah, to. absolutely, it really does. So uh, we're almost finished the list, but I want to ask you: How much time do we have left, Nathan? Um, I mean, as much as you want. We're, we're we're rolling in on an hour, so we are coming up on an hour. Yep. So here's what's left quickly. Then, um, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Doesn't mean he can't have lots of it. Um, I'm all for Christians coming to Cornerstone who have lots of money. By the way. <laughs> Come, join us. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome. Yes. It was, it was Wesley, John Wesley, who said, and sometimes preached this three-point outline, mm-hmm. make a lot. This is his sermon on money. Make mm-hmm. a lot, save a lot, give a lot. Mm-hmm. So if you want to come to Cornerstone and do that, bless you. Can, I, can we actually hang here um, mm-hmm. for a few minutes? Because I, I know that I struggle with this as well because I – I see pastors who's who are making salaries that are huge. And this argument I know comes into play a lot and I don't know what it is, but hearing a pastor making, you know, close to half a million or a million dollars. Yeah, CEO, it, executive type. Yeah, of. it just it doesn't resonate with me and this is something that I'm I'm really trying to look at scripture and be like is it not resonating with me because I'm I'm kind of stuck in an old mindset of you know oh pastors should only make x number of dollars because I don't think they should live poor mm-hmm. I certainly don't I think I I think I've moved beyond that mindset where that was probably my mindset when I was younger and growing up you know oh pastors are poor people no I I think to me <laughs> I've always uh, not always, but I've come more recently to appreciate. I think, I think a pastor should almost live in the median range of the congregation, where he's not the pauper, but he's not the prince. He's the person who understands 
because at one point in his life, he was the pauper. And so he can relate to that situation. He can help that situation. Um, but he's also not getting on his private jet and going off to the Bahamas every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I struggle with that. And so Steve, as the pastor, can you, um, maybe help me with this, you know, personal type struggle or even, you know, people in yeah. our listening audience who are, you know, grappling with this idea? A couple things. Uh, one is, uh, fortunately for every pastor you can find who makes 550,000 bucks a year off of his church, um, there are 550 other pastors who are living on dirt. Yeah. So uh, it's just that those the ones that make the big salaries are in the news, the yeah. ones who get splashed around. But there are exceptions. Like uh, John Piper, for all my differences with him and mm-hmm. all, uh, all the things that I might criticize him about, uh, I have to really commend him in this. You know, He did not draw right. the huge no. salary, and he didn't even receive money from his books. No. He could have been a wealthy, yeah. wealthy man from his books. He didn't receive the cash from those. What a model. Yeah. And he lived like the average person in the church. And yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I, yeah. I, I respect that. Um, I'm not going to say it's wrong for a pastor to make a massive salary. There might be a reason why they want to pay the guy a big salary. It'll keep him here in our church. He won't be let off to some other church where they offer him a bigger salary mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, I don't think pastors should be salary chasers anyway. Mm-hmm. Who cares? It's just money. We're not at, if if we're in it for money, we're really dumb. We got in the wrong field, man. <laughs> the wrong field. Uh, we you don't have to take a vow of poverty to be a pastor, but you do expect you're not going to make the kind of money that a lot of people in your church make. Heck, there are a lot of guys in their thirties in our church who make a lot more money than I do. Sure, and I'm perfectly fine with that. I don't care. Yeah, it's just money. Yeah, but uh, I'm not going to say it's wrong. I'm not going to say it would even trouble me. If I went to a mega church and I really liked the place and thought it was set up right, and they're paying the pastor big bucks, I, I could do with that. Mm. You couldn't? That would really bother it, you? It does. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things that I just, you know, I, and again, I it's not that I believe that, you know, the pastor should live like the pauper. I really, I don't. I, you know, I think... I think based on the area that you're in, you know, you you should you should make a livable wage. You should be able yeah. to support your family and you should be able to to live and and I, I mean I would go above and beyond and say that, you know, even even being able to to do things. So like, yeah, you you have, you know, you're being paid a little extra that you can throw in a savings so once a year you can do the big family vacation and things like that. You know, it's not like you're kind of looking around at vacation time going, "Oh man, you know, let's pack up the camper and, you I know, wish head, I could. you know, yeah, you know, I mean, so I I think there is something to, you know, the idea of, you know, being able to to enjoy and to, you know, make a living and to, to do what you need to do. I mean, I, I really do. I think there is something to that. It, it just, it rubs me the wrong way. And again, I'm, I struggle with that idea of, I think it's wrong versus it's just, it's rubbing me wrong to hear about, you know, the huge salaried pastor, you know, that, that over the top, um, you know, look at all the money that they have, you know? Um, but again, you know, that's, that's something, like I said, that I really am trying to like look at scripture and okay, I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with, I'm wrestling with that. I'm wrestling with the idea of, you know, Christ said, you know, 
foxes have dens and, you know, birds have nests, but the son of man doesn't have a place to lay his head, you know? And again, I don't, I don't think pastors should be like that. You know, I don't think it's like they should be wandering from house to house like a nomad, you know, but can can you, by the way, can you feed me before I leave? Yeah, (laughs) dude, we have so much food in that fridge. Ah, Take some, take some. Um, no, but yeah, that's just, I mean, that's just kind of where I am right now. Remember um, to the Philippians, they sent Paul a gift. He's in jail. Yeah. And uh, he wrote back and said, thanks for the gift, but uh, I really don't need it. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because he says, I have, I have learned, you yeah. don't come into the world knowing this, but you can learn it. I have learned uh, both to abase, how to abase and how to abound. Yeah. So uh, I know the skills. I've got the skill set to be an absolute pauper, like yeah. I am now in this Roman jail. I've also got the skill set to have a lot of cash going on. Yeah. So I don't know how abound abound meant to sure. the Apostle Paul, but he does say, I also know how to abound. Apparently he's experienced it. He's been flush with cash. Yeah. So I don't have a problem with that. Like I, I can think of congregations where uh, God has really blessed the pastor. His book sold big, mm-hmm. and out of the proceeds of his book, he built himself a $500,000 home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the people in the church are happy for him. It didn't cause any problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're happy. Even though the local newspapers write, oh, this is scandalous. Look at the house this pastor has. Well, he made it off his book. Um, it's not the salary the church is paying him. And uh, where else do you want him to put his money? Mm-hmm. He made that money. All right, you want him to give it away? All right, maybe. But the people are happy that he has it because uh, they love their pastor and they love what he's doing for them, etc. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, now, First Timothy 5 has some interesting stuff about this. Mm-hmm. You know, it has the whole section on widows. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the church in Ephesus, that's where Timothy was, went crazy on, on providing for widows. Maybe mm-hmm. because back in Acts chapter 20, last time Paul was in Ephesus, his closing words to the Ephesian elders were, uh, remember the poor. Yeah. All right? So they did, man. They did. They went crazy on the poor. They went crazy on the widows. So Paul has to has to pare it down a little bit in first Timothy five. You're supporting too many widows. You're spending too much on widows. Um, honor widows who are widows indeed. Sure. Dot, dot, dot. And honor means provide them with a, a maintenance. Right. Then he says the elders who labor in the word and doctrine, uh, consider them to be worthy of double honor, mm. double compared to what the widows, the widows get single honor. That's a maintenance. Mm-hmm. Double honor means, Twice that, yeah. all right, or twice maintenance or something. Sounds generous. Yeah. Doesn't sound like, you know, $15,000 a year. Right. All right, so. Yeah. No, and I, and I think that's fair. And like I said, that's just, you know, that's something that I, you know, I try to work through um, in my heart. And part of why I try to work through that is there are so many people who are uh, taking advantage of the gospel um, for monetary sake. And, oh, yeah. And you, those are the ones you hear in the news, yeah. and those are the ones that you know uh, people who are not believers will jump on. And so, part of it too is uh, I'm big in apologetics and you know defending the gospel, and so trying to come up with a reasonable argument of you know something that's not just as simple as well. You know, I mean, they have a huge church, and so they should make a lot of money, but also something not like, well, you know, they should be dirt poor because they're pastors, you know, but but a well-reasoned-out argument to people, you know, for those things. So, but So we're almost out of time, aren't we? Yeah, we're getting there. It's a pity because there's a bunch of stuff I'd like to talk about right here on my iPhone. Well, I think I think this actually might be a good place to end, and we can make a part two. I like that for idea. next week. I'm warm in my heart about All that right. idea. Awesome. So. <laughs> 
We'll go ahead and we'll plan to do that. We'll plan to continue this and um, pick this up next week where we left off. And uh, um, Steve, um, before we do sign off, though, I want to I want to give you a chance to kind of give the last word here or last words as it be. So um, this is where I get to appeal to the other elders in my church. Pay me well. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They do. I'm, I'm generously provided for. Awesome. Um, a word here. Uh, buy missional underwear. And, uh, <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, treat your pastors well if yeah. they're deserving. If you, have, you know, if you have a bad pastor, then all right, the church needs to deal with that. But, hey, love your pastors. Respect your pastors. Be gracious to them. I've got so many people who just show me love and we enjoy being together, mm-hmm. and um, you know their fellowship is great. They're an encouragement to me in so many ways. Be that to your pastors. Mm-hmm. It, it is a hard job. There are lots of hard jobs. We're not the only guys with hard jobs, but it, it's one of them. It's a hard job. So uh, support and encourage the guys. Huh? Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Steve. Look forward to uh, part two next week. Until then, we just rock the Casbah. These go to eleven. <laughs>